the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, we're still on our series, God's Great Plans for You, meaning the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Today's message is, if you're following along on your bulletins, there's a place to fill out... Uh, and add to, you know, the little blanks. Today's message is entitled, A Five-Fold Lie. A Five-Fold Lie. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And while you do, I'll tell you a little story. I hear people groaning now, uh-oh. I'm the only pastor in DeSoto County who gets regularly heckled while he preaches. <laughs> and I deserve it, so uh, what can I say? But, um, you know, when I got saved here at this church about 20 years ago, I started following the Lord, and, and they stuck me on the praise and worship team, and they, and they put me working with the children. So 20 years later, I'm still on the praise and worship team, and I still love the children. But uh, I used to study all week for my message to, to give the children on Sunday mornings. I mean, I took it just as serious as I do putting my messages together today. And I know they, their attention span, you know, they were 4 to 12-year-olds or something like that. And their attention span was probably about 5 to 10 minutes. But, you know, I wasn't happy unless I was going 25 or 30. But, <laughs> but when you're doing that, you know, you have to look for telltale signs that they're zoning out or something, you know. You can always tell when they start wiping boogers on one another, fist fighting and little things like that, you know. That means back off the King James verbiage, dude. <laughs> and I felt bad one day. I was back there, you know, I was probably about 25 minutes in, and this one little kid who shall henceforth be known as Little Jimmy, I'm not going to tell who it was, but it, Little Jimmy just had all he could take, you know. He couldn't take no more of this preaching stuff. And he started acting out, and he jumped out of his seat and started acting crazy. And so the helper walked him back to the timeout chair and set him in timeout, and I just felt terrible. I thought, that's my fault. I'm just a big windbag. I, just, I can't stop this preaching. I'm good at taking off, but I'm not good at landing, you know. I just, as many of you have come to realize. But, so I said, okay, I'll go ahead and finish my third close, and, and tell them the gospel, you know. And so I said, you know what, kids, Jesus came down from heaven as God's son, and he died on the cross to pay the sin debt that we couldn't pay. To, so that, Marvin, get your finger out of your sister's ear. He died on the cross. You know, that's about the way it goes in there, you know. And, and so... If you'll receive Jesus into your life, he'll forgive your sins and you can become part of his family. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, that's just the way they say it in the big church. And so I was thinking about re-saying it again in a way that they could understand it. And that's when little Jimmy jumped up out of the timeout chair. And guess what he did? I'll tell you later. In the meantime, have you turned to Ephesians chapter 4 yet? Well, hold your finger there. 
Today we're going to talk about your J-O-B. <laughs> Somebody said, ooh. <laughs> it's a dirty little word that many of us don't want to talk about on the weekends. And you're saying like, Pastor, what's that got to do with God? And I didn't come here to talk about my job. This is my day off. And many of us, we begin to see life as our holy life and our secular life, our Christianity and then our worldly life, like there's two of us or something, like we turn on God and turn him off. And we begin to say, well, when I'm at church on Sunday, I'm doing my spiritual duty, but Monday through Friday, I'm just doing my job. And we really look at our jobs like it's not important in the kingdom of God, like it's not a holy thing. How many of you feel like you may be in the wrong job, you may not be following God's leading, and you may be somewhere you don't want to be right now, or you may be in a transition job, uh, or wherever you're at. But I want to tell you today that you're a Christian Monday through Friday too. And that your job is important. And the way you do your job is holy unto God. We do everything as if unto the Lord, right? So I'm going to expose a five-fold lie because some people think the term higher calling in the Bible is only for ordained ministers and such. You know, the five-fold ministry. And a lot of five-fold ministry, maybe you've heard pastors tell the story about how they accepted the calling of God in their life and they made it sound so important. And it is. It absolutely is. But guess what? Your calling is just as important. If you look at where it says in the uh, Philippians about we press on towards the mark or the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, that's the only, somebody said that they couldn't find high calling in the Bible. I found it. It's in, the, in Philippians. But it's talking about anybody that presses on towards the mark. It's not just talking about five-fold ministry. I believe today God would say to you that what you're doing in your job is just like it's, it's holy work. It's important. Ephesians 4, I hope you're there. If you're not, we'll put it up on the board for you. Verse 11. Let's clear this up. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. So somebody may stop right there and say, Oh, see, those are the gifts. All right, buddy, you're the gift. Use your gift to fill up the church. And they look at the pastor and say, that pastor ain't no good because his church ain't filled up. Or that pastor ain't working hard enough because his, his church ain't filled up. Is it the pastor's responsibility to fill up the church? Is he the only one that has a calling from God? Because the next verse says, their responsibility is to equip God's people. And that's what I'm doing here today. In fact... It's more of my responsibility to equip you to do the work of the ministry than it is for me to go out and do the work of the ministry. So me preparing to teach you and, and, and uh, leading and guiding and, and having all these things that we do, my job is to equip us to better together come together and get the work of the ministry done. But is it any more important than the people who actually do the work? No. Absolutely not. Who's the people that do the work? They do like that right there. <laughs> Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ, to fill up the church. That's your job. 
You didn't even, didn't even know that, did you? You probably did. I like what uh, Pastor Kevin, what was his last name? Kevin Cooley. He was at the youth uh, camp. My mind. Um, he was at the youth camp a couple of weeks ago. If you've been to youth camp, your mind will go too. And uh, <laughs> Pastor Kevin, he taught a couple of nights there at the youth camp. And you know, most ministers, they'll teach and, and then they'll call up youth Maybe in a fashion like this, they'll say, if any of you feel a calling to the ministry, I'd like for you to come up and let me pray for you. Have you heard that? Typically, the first people they call is those who feel called to the ministry. But Pastor Kevin didn't do that. He says, if anybody in here feels called to the business community, I'd like to pray for you. And he'd pray for them. And then, If anybody in here feels called to the education system, to be a teacher or this or that, come up, I'd like to pray. He went through a whole bunch of stuff. Entertainment, athletics, engineers, mechanical, all kind of whatever. He was touching the hearts of everybody because you know what? Everybody is just as important as those that are in ministry. He got around to ministry. They are in ministry, exactly. And I like the way he did that. It made the youth see that it's not, all of us can't be a pastor. All of us can't be a, a prophet or an apostle. We're all called to teach and preach and do a little bit of the job, but we're not all called to the fivefold ministry, but that doesn't mean anything. It means God has something else for you. You know where God needs you? Out in the world. Out into every sector of the world, in every corner, in every crook, in every cranny. God needs you where you're at right now. Maybe you haven't saw it that way that God needs me where I'm at at that job over on Union Avenue or wherever you work. But He does. There's people there that need you. Romans 12, 4 says, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. Or you could say, so it is with the church. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In His grace... God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy or preach, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is in to encourage others, be encouraging. There's an idea. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. He's just touching on a whole bunch of bases. He could keep going because God gives many gifts. There's many parts of the body, and every one of them is important. And if we'll all pull together and do our part, there would be nothing lacking. So whatever passion God has put in your heart, you may think it's not holy. I want to be an accountant. You know, that's not holy, uh. No, that is. If God put it there, it makes it holy. Be a Holy Ghost-filled accountant. Amen? And so we're all called to the ministry. All our callings, all our jobs are important. And we just need to care enough to share while we're doing it. You know, like I said, there's not a secular time where I just shut off and I don't have to worry about being salt and light. I should always be salt and light. I should always care enough to share this good thing you found in Jesus. What do, what do we share, Pastor? 
Well, whatever gifts God has given you, whatever you have, we are to share. We're stewards of the manifold grace of God, it says. If you have wisdom, share it, knowledge, encouragement, finances, experience. Sometimes you just need to lend an ear to somebody. Maybe a shoulder to cry on. That's giving. That's sharing. Serve somebody somehow. Got to serve somebody. Isn't that a song? Serve somebody somehow. Find ways to point them to Jesus. And His Spirit will guide you in this. If you are a child of God, then you have the Spirit of God. And He will, he will lead you. That's probably the problem. If you, if you divide your life up into holy and secular, and you think you're only a Christian on Sunday, you're not listening the rest of the week. Right? You're a child of God at all times. So listen then you'll, be good, uh, then you'll be doing what God wants you to do. But somebody might say, but I've done everything wrong, Pastor. I don't really have anything to give. No, that puts you in a special place. You can tell everybody what not to do. <laughs> you know, if you see somebody doing what you used to do, you go and say, hey, I've done that. And then let me tell you what happens. That puts you in a special place if you've done everything wrong. You can help those people. New people, these teenagers, these kids, these adults, don't do that. It won't work out well. I'll tell you what happened. Or you can help them through as they're coming out. If you've had a hard life, you've done things wrong, you're in a special position. The light of the glorious gospel will shine brighter through your dark past. So don't despair. There's power in our personal testimonies. You don't believe me? How many were touched last week when we had six women up here? You remember last week? Giving personal testimonies? Sharing? Were they five-fold ministry people? Did they have a five-fold calling? But were they effective? See, all you got to do is tell your story and learn how to give God the glory for where you, what He's brought you out of. And you know what? Those women's lives have been radically changed and in part because we have women in this church who are just willing to share one hour a month down at the local jail. And they touched the, the heart of one woman who went out and joined Teen, ministry, teen Challenges Ministry and now is the leader of that group of women you saw. It's pretty awesome. You see, testimonies, your testimony will birth other testimonies. I like how that works. Testimonies begot other testimonies. So tell yours so that others <laughs> can have one too. God needs his people infiltrating every walk of life. You know, typically the people that need reaching are not here in the church. Some churches only fish in the, in the aquarium. <laughs> Amen? You got to go out to the big lake, the big scary rivers and the oceans. You got to pull them in. Is Van here today? Uh, Van 
shared uh, about a year ago on a Wednesday night. One of his testimonies, he was talking about he, he's a manager over a work crew. A couple of guys in his crew, they're just, oh, he's like, my goodness. You know, they're heathens. They talk terrible. They got bad attitudes. They talk bad about him behind his back. They're destroying his group. And he said he started praying to God. God, I got to get rid of these two guys. I can't, I can't even, you know, I feel dirty around these guys. They just, you know, I can't, I can't live out my Christianity. And, and they're tearing up the group. God, get rid of these two guys. If you could move them out of my group, then I would have a good group. And he said he heard God say, Van, if I can't bring them to you, where am I going to bring them? Do you understand that the problem people that you have in your life, maybe God brought them to you for a reason? That gives a whole new look at some of your jobs, don't it? You can't wait to go to work tomorrow now. I understand. <laughs> They're watching you. Van's got a brother named Glenn. And Glenn's a missionary over in Tanzania, Africa. And sometimes he goes to Kenya. I like what he said. He, when I was talking to him last time he came through, he ministered here on a Wednesday too. We're going to get him back when he comes back across the ocean. He said... That those big time preachers, they'll throw up a big, huge stage out in the middle of Tanzania or Kenya somewhere with lights and big sound system, and it'll just draw people. People will walk 25 miles to get there because there's no entertainment over there. There's no, nothing going on. You, they see lights and a sound system, they think, let's go. And so millions of people literally will congregate for this big meeting they're having, this crusade, they call them. And the preacher will preach, and he'll give an altar call. They say sometimes a million folks will come down front to say the sinner's prayer. A million folks. You're like, hallelujah. But he said, when they tear down that stage, we put up the sound system and the lights, and the big-time preacher gets on his jet and flies back to America, he said 95% of those people that went down front to say the sinner's prayer go right back into their witchcraft right back into their darkness, right back into wherever they want. I mean, those preachers got a big notch on their belt now. But he says, what we do over there is we go door to door. We talk to people. If somebody's interested, I may go back and talk to them ten times. I become friends with them. I get into their lives. We develop relationships. And before you know it, if they receive the gospel over there, because it's mostly a Muslim place, it could mean that they get kicked out of their families. They could get killed. They have to put them in safe houses. There's all kinds of stuff that he's in the middle of that we need to pray about. But he says we, we minister to them. We disciple them. See, Jesus didn't say go into all the world and do crusades and say the sinner's prayer. That's not wrong. I'm not saying that's wrong. That's one way. But I like his way. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. Train them up so that they, in turn, can go tell somebody else. If we disciple one another to the place where we're all feeling that call, and we understand we all have a high call, 
then eventually it may start out small, but it end up big. Just like the crusade started out big, but ended up small. Does that make any sense? I'm not saying crusades are wrong, and I'm not saying people don't legitimately get saved there. And Jesus preached to large crowds. He just did it in a, in a way where he would speak in parables and stuff, and a lot of them wouldn't get it or whatever, you know. But he was always looking for an opportunity at a one-on-one, whether it was calling little Zacchaeus down from the sycamore tree, or whether it was a, a chance meeting with a feisty little woman at the well. He sat down would talk with folks in a language that they could understand. He was always ready with love and with an answer for their situation. And you know what? Jesus was never like a Pharisee. He didn't walk around in long flowing robes, commanding respect and honor. He wasn't hard to approach. Even the little children run up to him. He was a friend of sinners. Pharisees were never friends of sinners. Jesus was so unlike a Pharisee. Look at your neighbor and say, won't you lose that steeple people exterior? I done started a fight up in the church. <laughs> 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. A peculiar people. Some of us have taken that peculiar statement, man, and, and said, that's my license to be peculiar. <laughs> Some churches are like a bowl of cereal is full of flakes and nuts. <laughs> hey, peculiar in the King James Version is translated chosen in the New Living Translation, if that helps you. We're not called to be flakes and nuts. I want to show you a video. Can somebody uh, flip them light switches? And it's about a four-minute video. It's really funny, but it's kind of really true. Evangelism is not for the weak. All right, I should know. I wrote a whole book about it. Self-published. Most Christians, they are just good for bake sales and potluck dinners. But I'm telling you this right now. It takes a lot of moxie to grab a non-believer by the shirt collar and throw him in the front doors of a church and say, Hey, try living out your heathen life in front of a holy God that way. It is like holy water on a vampire. That's divine intervention, my friend. Repent for the kingdom of the Lord is nigh. Come to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, sir, it sounds like you're really passionate about Jesus. I am. Um, and you should also be. Okay. Passionate about the Lord. Sir, if there's... You need to get sanctified or chicken fried. Can we... You need to get with the Lord or drive a Ford. Sir, we... Get right or get left. I share my faith. Okay, that's a lie. People don't even know I'm a Christian. I want to, again, another lie. I hardly shower, much less have the will to do anything else. 
Mm. Okay. Now, if there was pizza and ice cream every time there was faith sharing, I'd do it. That's a lie. I'm lactose intolerant. Again, another lie. I'm just too cheap to buy dairy. Bottom line, sharing my faith makes me sweaty. Uh, tip number 95. Um, use big church words like transubstantiation. Heathens get confused easily. And the more confused they are, the more ashamed they are. The more ashamed they are, the more apt they are to make a decision for Jesus Christ. I believe it's a responsibility. No. The privilege, no. The glorious privilege of every believer to share their faith with others. That's why I share my faith with everyone I come in contact with. Everyone, really? <laughs> yeah, everyone. How do you do that? Uh, check out my shirt. Can't read it? Try this glove. Not working for you? How about this bracelet? No comprendo? Vistazo a estos. <laughs> Driving behind me? Read my bumper sticker. Says, it's okay if you follow close. I'm going to heaven. <laughs> oh, you're my waiter or waitress? I got a tip for you. Surprise! It's the gospel. I mean, what do you want? Money or eternity? <laughs> I also use these tracks. <laughs> So, what about talking to people about your faith? <laughs> I, I don't really like people, but I love Jesus. <laughs> Scripture mint? Hi, my name is George. And I'm Jorge, and together we're George and Jorge. Right, right. Uh, what we like to do is to take secular songs and reprogram them. Yes. The purpose is for evangelism. We like to take songs to the unbelieving world and make it believable. Right, right. Let us give you a sample right now. Hey, lost sinner, I just have to ask you, what makes you tick? What is it? You're headed to H-E-double hockey sticks. Hey, lost sinner, why don't you just give it all up to Jesus? I was a freshman in college the first time I invited someone to church. My best buddy called me. I was working at a grocery store. I was in the back cutting carrots, and my buddy called me. And I just said, hey, do you want to go to church with me tonight? And uh, I remember his words. He said, sure, I got nothing better to do. And I went to church with him. And, you know, I went there because they were serving pizza that night. Um, I don't remember what was said. I don't remember what was sung. During the services, I remember praying for him and just asking God to please reach out and touch his heart or do something because I knew he needed Jesus. And then um, God answered my prayers. That night changed my life, September 17th, 1987. It changed my life because I realized I needed a Savior. I believe that was their, his real testimony there at the end. But the rest of it... <laughs> we all know something. Mahatma Gandhi said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. I'd like to grab him by the shirt collar. That's not, that's not true for the most part. I'm not one of those who like to grab uh, scriptures and post it on Facebook or th 
things on post on Facebook about how bad the church is. I think most of it's overblown and most of it's people using an excuse to, to talk down to church because they don't go. But on the other hand, there is a small section of the church that is like a bowl of cereal. And sadly, some Christians are hard to do life with. They're hard to be friends with. They can be judgmental. They have a critical spirit. They just begin to suck the life. You know, they begin to nitpick you till you lose all your Christ-given freedom. They, they want you to be just like they are. Whatever God's dealing with them, they're going to deal with you. But that, that isn't the way God works. Um, people become like the sin police. And I don't see that as one. Of, it's not a six-fold ministry, adding sin police. You know, the Word of God changes us. The Word of God corrects us. That's why we go to church and we get the Word of God. And there's a time, I'm not saying, I'm not saying there's not a time for correction, but I'm saying, is that your full-time job? Then you need to reconsider. Because we can get over to an area of spiritual pride. And you know what spiritual pride is? It's just a hypocritical version of regular pride. It's even stinkier. Just because God has reached down and brought you out doesn't make you better than the people he hadn't brought out yet. There's nobody here more important than anybody else. That's what I'm trying to get to today. And when we begin as Christians to view other people as projects, it's subtle. Are, are you reaching out and you, you inviting them to church? Are you caring about them because you really love them? Are you trying to get another feather in your cap or a notch on your belt? People can tell if they're a project. They won't respond to that. And people can tell if you think you're better than them too. You know what I'm saying? Well, my life, I, you know, look at me now. I've got a car and a nice house and everything, and he doesn't have anything, so I must be better than him. Well, it wasn't so long ago that you were in the same position. You know, if it weren't for the grace of God. You know, everywhere Jesus went, he demonstrated immense humility. He didn't go around saying, look at me. I'm all that. He washed his disciples' feet. Everything he did was demonstrate a humility that we'd do well to emulate. And on the lighter side, could we cool it with the Christianese? You know what I'm talking about? You ever heard that term? It's an actual term now. Christianese. We have talked. We're like, I think unbelievers almost need a translator to talk to some Christians these days. Hallelujah, brother. <laughs> Praise the Lord. God is good. Most high God. Amen. And they're like, what? <laughs> what is he talking about? What are, I understand we say hallelujah. We say praise the Lord and everything. But, but be cognizant of the fact that the world doesn't talk like that. And so when you're speaking to somebody, speak a language that they can understand. And I'm the world's worst, as a preacher, of course. You can probably pick out ten things I've said in Christianese already today. But in that, in that Christianese dictionary that they've come out, did you know they come out with a Christianese dictionary to help us understand what we mean? When a Christian, for example, when a Christian says, I'm sorry, that's not my spiritual gift. 
You know what they're really saying? Find somebody else. <laughs> when they say, let's go to a church fellowship, what they really mean is organized gluttony. <laughs> when they say, when you ask them, are you coming Sunday? They say, well, Lord willing. <laughs> what they really mean is, okay, you may think I'll be there, but I won't. <laughs> or they say, I don't feel led, brother. Once again, you may think I'll be there, but I won't. <laughs> Those are code words. It's Christianese. When, you, when, when a Christian says, oh, she has such a sweet spirit, what they really mean is, you're such an airhead. <laughs> Why did I look at you and I said, I don't know. <laughs> when a Christian says, uh, I got a check in my spirit about this guy. What they really mean is, I can't stand that jerk. <laughs> you forgive me, brother. I'm sorry I looked at you when I said that. But we tend to over-spiritualize everything as Christians. And we just need to be aware of how it comes off sometimes. When, when we use, when we say in every sentence, God told me this, God told me that, and I brushed my teeth this morning. The Lord told me to use that other toothpaste. This, you know, it begins to sound a little hokey, and you've painted yourself into a corner in that conversation that you're not going to get a dialogue out of anybody. They're like, how do you argue with him? Everything he does is from God, you know. <laughs> it's like I, I've been guilty of that, talking about, and we are led by God, but they don't understand that. I'm just talking about how to talk to unbelievers. And come on, you, God didn't tell you what toothpaste to use this morning. Some of us over-spiritualize everything. Just because we, we feel like that, that would be a good idea. Oh, well, God told me that would be a good idea. That's why people have a hard time communicating with Christians. And that's how, how come we can be not good friends at times. Jesus spoke a language that the common people could understand. Contrary to popular belief, he did not speak in King James' Old English language. He probably spoke Aramaic, to be honest. But when he gave illustrations, he gave illustrations that the common people could grasp. When he was talking, about, when he was talking to fishermen, he would talk about fishing. He would talk about the water, the, the hooks, the nets, the waves. Things that they could, he would explain it to them in a way that they could understand. Same way with uh, when he was talking about with farmers, he would talk about the soil, the seed. The weather conditions. He tried to make it easy on people. He told us to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. So it takes a little wisdom to, to think a four before you speak with somebody about how you're coming off. Right? You want to be as harmless as doves. You don't want to offend them just because of the way you speak or, or make them think you're crazy on the front end. God would... <laughs> They'll find that out later. Uh, you know, I think one of the reasons our church is growing is because we're trying to be like real people here. I think the, the kingdom of God would grow a lot quicker if the, if the people would get out of the way and let the gospel do the speaking. 
Somebody's got to speak the gospel, but let's do it in a language they can understand. That's what I'm really trying to get to today. I didn't mean to. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.22, When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Another translation, he says, I become all things to all people. Yes, I try to figure out some common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessings. Somebody in here probably needs a purpose statement for your life. That would be a good one. I do everything I can to spread the good news and share in its blessings. That should be our purpose. That's your job. At your church, everywhere, to share the good news and share in its blessings. One time they made a big mistake back when I was first born again. I was sitting in on a youth service, and, and I think it was Pastor Billy was the preacher at the time, and he asked me, did I want to share my testimony, just out of the blue. And I was like, okay. I got up. And I was a little shy, but I started talking. And it was the first time I ever really remember preaching with the anointing. You could feel God giving me words and feeding me. And, and, I, and I just began to share my testimony and I just began to share love for these youth and, and things just flowed. And man, it was probably, when we left there, I was like, oh, I'm awesome, man. I'm do- <laughs> Dude, I'm a born preacher. You know, I was so sure. Oh, my goodness. Did, I wanted to call everybody and tell them how good I did. You know. <laughs> And I did good enough that Pastor Billy asked me the next Wednesday would I minister in the youth. Well, between that Wednesday and the next Wednesday, I was brushing up on my Kenneth Copeland tapes. I was, back then it was cassettes. I was listening to them, Kenneth Copeland. He's a great teacher. He's an expounder on the Word of God. And he just knows how to break it all down and teach it and get into the, the deep things of God. And so I said, that's the way I want to be. And so I studied, and I wrote like a 46-page message for that next Wednesday. (laughs) And I plopped my book down, and I started preaching to them. And to this day, I still remember that as the worst sermon that I have ever given. (laughs) In fact, I remember it as maybe the worst sermon I have ever heard from anybody. And the youth couldn't deny it either. They were like... They were trying to make me feel better. Well, it wasn't that bad. You know, I was like devastated afterwards. I had tried to be somebody I wasn't. I was trying to be Kenneth Copeland. I'm not Kenneth Copeland. I may admire what he does, but I don't teach like he does. And guess what? God is not asking you to be Kenneth Copeland. He's asking you to be the best version of you. He gave you special gifts and abilities that nobody else has. He wants you to use them. Don't try to be something you're not. I wrote this. It's on your sheet, I think. You can help people find Jesus or you can try to impress them with your spirituality. You can rarely do both. You can either help people find Jesus or you can try to impress them with your spirituality. But you can rarely do both. How do we do it then, Pastor? Well, look, right back there it says how. This is the how. You just be genuine. What does genuine mean? Real? Just a real person? You don't have to be super Christian. 
You don't have to act spiritual. If you're spiritual, it'll come out. You don't have to force it. You don't have to be what your impression of a Christian is. Be genuine. Be genuine to the Word of God in your life. Be passionate. Have a passion to share it. People can tell when you're, you're just going through the motions. But when you really love Jesus, there's a passion there that they can't deny. And it's like, I want that. People want that kind of passion. And then finally, what does it say? Relevant. And that's really what we're talking about here today. Being relevant in our society. Talking in a language that they understand. If Jesus was here today, he would not be speaking in old English. He would not be talking about yokes and oxen and stuff. He'd be talking about Chevys and Fords. <laughs> Relevant. No compromise in any of that. None of that compromises the Word of God. It makes us powerful in the kingdom of God to be real, to be who we are. And it takes the pressure off, doesn't it? How many of you can go, man, I thought I was going to have to be Kenneth Copeland. Them ladies last week, they were just real. They were just who they are, and it was powerful. I love it. I love it. And oh, where? Where are we bringing them? Oh, the place to find the real Jesus. That's where, that's the goal, to help them find the real Jesus. And to bring them to the real Jesus, you have to be real people. Don't color Jesus with your form of religiosity. Look, the, the English language is wide open. You can just use it however you want to. Okay, earlier I talked about little Jimmy. Now I'm going to talk about Big Jim. Because about 15 years ago in this church, somebody put together a... I'm, I'm, I'm using aliases so nobody knows who I'm talking about. But they may be in here, I'm not saying. But about 15 years ago, we had this 12-week-long marriage ceremony, sappy share fest thing, where you, you know, what do you call it, a conference or something we would get together and <laughs> conference you know and we every, every week we would get together and and we they'd tell us something about marriage you know like and we don't know all that stuff and then at the end they would go around the room and ask us to share i remember the first time they asked us to share they got to me i was like oh uh, yeah whatever he said that sounds you know <laughs> that's that's good out mm -hmm. and then the next person in line was Big Jim. Big Jim was sitting there with his arms folded like this. You could tell if there was anybody in the room didn't want to be there, it was Big Jim. They said, Jim, you got anything you'd like to share? He goes, no. Nope. <laughs> in a voice low enough to trigger a tsunami halfway around the world, I mean, scared everybody. <laughs> so every week, it would get to Big Jim. No. Nope. Nothing to share. But as the weeks went on, it was like I said, it was like a 12-week thing. People eventually began to open up, and people got real. People 
got rid of that steeple people exterior, started talking about real things in marriage. And towards the end of it, Big Jim started, he would say, oh, I can see that. You know, something along those lines, nothing fancy. But he would make a comment, and I started thinking to myself, if it keeps going, you know, if we had a couple more weeks here, Big Jim might bust out and say something. And me and Angie, I will say that we were excited that, that it had turned out that everybody in the church was jacked up, you know, the whole, <laughs> it wasn't just us. <laughs> and so we were all glad about that. <laughs> and so it turned out that the whole marriage thing worked good. It was really helpful. But on the last week, they had a big thing here at the church, and we all came to church. We had been meeting in folks' homes, and we, we were supposed to invite friends and family, and this place was packed, you know, because all of us were supposed to get rehitched or whatever, and we said our vows again. And, uh, and then everybody was supposed to talk on the microphone, and we were all waiting to see what Big Jim was going to say. And so we were sitting, and everybody went up, and Big Jim was last, and they said, Jim, would you like to come say to all of our surprise, Jim jumped up, went up there and snatched this microphone off the thing. And he said, let me tell you something. <laughs> he started talking. He said, when I started going to this marriage class, he said, I thought I was the only one that had problems. <laughs> and I wasn't going to say nothing. I thought y'all were a bunch of church people and y'all had it all together and I was the only one that didn't. And I wasn't going to say nothing. I was embarrassed. Ten minutes later, Big Jim is still talking. He still got the microphone, and the family members are climbing over the purple chairs to get to the back to sign up for their next marriage class. <laughs> and you know what? Big Jim ain't stopped talking since then. In fact, I'm going to reveal Big Jim to you. Big Tim, will you stand up? Now, which one of you would say Tim is shy and quiet? <laughs> Tim will follow you out in the parking lot, talk you all the way to the car. You have to drive off. I'll see you next week, Tim. <laughs> Man, once he got a hold of the idea that we're all real people, he ran with it. And guess what? Big Tim has discovered his gifts and callings, and he's one of the best leaders here in this church. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Woo! Big Tim. Colossians 4, 5 says, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you'll have the right response for everyone. Say right response. You can say something, but how about let's work on giving the right response. So how do we get started? Well, I'm going to rush through these things since we're running out of time. Job number one is just basically work on your relationship with Jesus. Grow closer to Him. Nothing works without your personal passion. Without it, you won't fight through your comfort zones. You won't fight through your fears. You'll just sit on the couch and wish that you was like somebody else that would share their faith. But if you grow closer to Jesus, man, you can't help but share your faith. Without a passion for Christ, we'll come off as a clanging Christianese symbol. It won't make sense to anybody. What? What is that noise you're talking about? It won't make sense. You need that passion. <clears throat> and if you're ready to really jump into your calling in this world, jump in. Remember we had a Wednesday night service not long ago. We talked about Christians who just put a toe in. No, that ain't the way to do it. 
Just dive right on in. Start with your family. Start telling them about Jesus. Start letting them see your light shine. Start with your, your Walmart. Start with your job. Go, when you go to Kroger, start with the cashiers. Find people to let your light shine. Find people that you can talk to and begin to talk about Jesus. Brush up on your basics about the gospel message. In the back, we have what we call salvation cliff notes that we've printed out for you in one of those trays. Go get you a copy and see what the Bible says. You've got to get them lost before you can get them found. Find out how to do that. Find out how to show people what the Bible says about their need for a Savior. It's easy. I mean, you could memorize every scripture on that page in one day if you would just take the time to do it. It would, it would impact your life for the rest of your, your days here on the earth. And let the church help. We often, we've, we've had classes on, on evangelism, and they're not just how to go door to door or just the mall. We talk about how to win Aunt Betty to the Lord when she comes over for Thanksgiving. We play scenarios. Every situation in life, how do you begin a conversation? How do you let your light show? How do you know when to shut up and when not to? That could be just as important, you know? Uh, let the church help. Um, when we go on our outreaches, go, you know, just go and observe and see how other people, and let people, somebody here, disciple you in that regard. Um, when we have a church outreach, you know, church-wide outreach, go cook hot dogs. Show up. You know, give what you have to give right now. God can't steer a parked car. Just take a step, and he'll take a step, and, and then you'll, you'll begin to grow in your confidence. And you'll realize, hey, all it is is being a person. It's just being a person, talking to another person, living life, doing godly stuff. In fact, this Saturday, this Saturday, we're meeting here at the church at 1030. We're going to give some brief instructions and pray, and then we're going either to the mall or door-to-door. -door. Brother Tom's still praying about that, but we're going one or the other. And, uh, and you can come. You can come. Meet here at 1030. We'll pray together. We'll give brief instructions. And if you're nervous about it or whatever, that's all right. We'll put you with somebody more experienced. And you can just be in observatory mode. You can just go and watch. until you, and, and if you feel something, you, you say it. But you'll just see all it is is, is being real, talking to folks. How many has been to that, the door-to-door -door and realized it's just being real? Amen. Well, uh... I wrote as easy as John 145. What does John 145 say? It says, Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. So he's telling somebody, hey, we found the Messiah. Hey, we found the way. We found Jesus. And that's what we do today. Verse 46, the guy says, Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, can any good come from Nazareth? So the guy's a little hesitant, right? Philip simply says, come and see for yourself. That would be like you inviting him to church. Come and see for yourself. Look at my life. Look what he's done for me. Let me tell you what he's done for me. And, and if you don't believe me, come and let him hear the message of the gospel. Nathaniel went on to become one of the twelve. That's how easy it is. Tell them you found the Messiah. You found the answer to life. You need to know this Jesus that I know. Invite them to church. You see, there's power in the invite. I have come to realize that as a pastor, 
There's great power in the invite. How many of you have invited somebody to church this year? Awesome. That's why we're growing. How many of you have invited somebody to church this year? They came and they gave their heart to Jesus while they were here. Awesome. How does that make you feel? Is there a personal, wouldn't you like to share how that makes you feel? Makes you feel wonderful, doesn't it? You remember a couple weeks ago, I took an impromptu poll, and I said, how many of you came to the Passion Church uh, through one of our outreaches, whether it be the jail, ministry, nursing home, door-to-door mall, outreach, or wherever we're at? And there's a couple hands raised up. Then I said, well, how many of you came here because you saw our advertising on the Internet or whatever? Like one hand or something. I said, how many of you came here because somebody in here personally invited you to go to church with them. Almost every hand in the place. Every other hand in the place went up. 90, 95% of everybody in here is here because of the power of an invite. So you, if you're at a place where you don't feel comfortable leading them to the Lord yourself, you can invite them to church where they can hear the gospel, Right? Do what you can with what you have. Live out the gospel and always be ready to tell it. God's not so much concerned about your ability as He is your availability. Make yourself available. 1 Peter 3.15 If someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. When? Always. But do it in a gentle and respectful way. That's what we're talking about. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Keep your life pure. As Brother Nicholas prayed this morning in our pre-service prayer, get the log out of your own eye so that you can see clearly to get the speck out of your brother's eye. You know, live a life that they want to have. Let them see the blessing of God in your life, upon your life. And then tell them about Jesus. Tell them how you got it. Do it in a gentle and respectful way. Do it right now. There you go. Got a little preacher in the house. Okay, so little Jimmy was sitting in timeout. I'd finished my third close and I'd explained the gospel and then I realized, man, that's how they do it in big church. Let me explain it. Let me redo it in a way that the little kids can understand it. And I was about to start my fourth close when little Jimmy hopped up out of that timeout chair like his tail was on fire and ran down to the front. I'm like, what's he going to do? He said, I want this Jesus. Look, it's the gospel message that does the work. The message is so simple, even a child can understand it. And even a child can tell it. Don't matter what vessel it comes through, even if it's as flimsy as this, even if I'm long and boring as this, just tell them. Just tell them. Don't believe the fivefold lie that the gospel is not your responsibility. It is your responsibility. It's all our responsibilities. We're all called to be ambassadors for Christ.
listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.